If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Proverbs, the 28th chapter, take a few passages from there. If you remember over the last several times that I had preached here, that we had been talking about the different types of salvation. And when I say that, what I mean is typically in you know the denominational world, if you hear somebody bring up the question, are you saved? They just automatically uh, think that you are referring to an eternal salvation, meaning are you saved eternally from your sins? And we looked the first time that I um, spoke on this, and we concluded that it is uh, solely an act of grace on the part of God that brings us that salvation from the wrath of God in eternity. And by grace, I mean that it has, it's totally independent of anything that we can do, any action, any verb that we could, uh, that we could do in our own lives is simply grace. But we also acknowledge that the Bible has many different other things to say about salvation and things that we can do in order to be saved. And we concluded that those types of salvation don't save us from anything in our next life, but saves us from things here on earth. And, uh, you know, a good example of that that I thought about would be, you know, I could tell you that, you know, you need to wear your seatbelts. You need to wear your seatbelts, but I'm not telling you that. That's not, you know, like my soapbox. I'm just using it as an example. You need to wear your seatbelts because if you're in, in some sort of car accident, uh, then there's a great chance that that seatbelt will save your life, right? That's a big deal. Yeah. To save your life, that seatbelt seat is going to save your life. But now, let's say that you go into Brother Harold's auto shop one day with your car, and you say, man, it's not running right. I don't know what's wrong with it. And he looks at your car and he says, well, your car's got 50,000 miles on it. It ought to be running fine. When was the last time you changed the oil? And you say, well, I've never changed the oil. But I wear my seatbelt. All right? Do you see how that kind of makes you stand back and say, well, that's awesome because your seatbelt will save you. But your seatbelt's not going to save you from the inconvenience and the cost of replacing your engine. Does that make sense? You see, your seatbelt saves you from something, but so does the maintenance on your car. Do you realize that um, making sure your brake lights and your blinkers work can save you from a traffic ticket, right? You so seatbelt will save you, car maintenance will save you, making sure your brake lights will save you, making sure you've got gas in your car will save you from being stuck on the side of the road, right? <clears throat> Many different ways that you can be saved, but it would be ridiculous to say anytime you had any kind of car trouble, well, I wear my seatbelt. Well, that's good, but that seatbelt saves you here, but it doesn't save you over here. And so what we looked at was it's grace that saves you in eternity, but it doesn't save you over here, it doesn't save you here, here, or here. And so we looked at the other things that do save you on this side of heaven, and one of the things we looked at was repentance. And we don't want to go back through all that, but repentance was simply a turning away from your sin, and it saves you from the effect and the consequences of that sin, right? So repentance definitely has a salvation tied to it. Another thing that you will often hear people say when, it come, when you ask the question, what have I got to do to be saved? Uh, they, uh, one of the um, things that they'll tell you is that confession saves you. Confessing saves you. And that's what I want to look at today and probably the next time and probably the next time. And the reason I say that is because there are three scenarios that I found in the Bible, three different scenarios 
where confession saves you. One of those scenarios is your confession of your sin has a salvation tied to it, right? There's also a salvation in the confessing of our Lord as our Savior. There's also a confession that has a salvation tied to it in me confessing my faults and you confessing your faults to one another. If I've offended you, if I've sinned against you, there's a salvation that comes by me acknowledging that and confessing that to you. Three totally different scenarios. What's interesting to me, the one I'd like to look at today is a confession of sin and how that saves you. A lot of times when you hear people talk about confession being uh, part of the equation in salvation, they'll go, to the Rome, they'll go to Romans the 10th chapter, maybe the 9th verse, maybe the 13th verse. And uh, I read uh, just last week where a very prominent, prominent preacher uh, who's, who's dead and gone now uh, and was not of the Primitive Baptist order, but probably one of the most well-known preachers of this particular order, and he had in a writing there that you need to confess your sins in order to be saved, and he used Romans, the 10th chapter, to back that up. But what you'll find is when you read Romans, the 10th chapter, Romans, the 10th chapter has nothing to do with a confession of sin. Romans, the 10th chapter, is totally about a confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, that's two totally different things, right? So we'll look at that maybe um, one of the next time or the next time. But today, what I'd like to look at is how does confessing our sin save us? Now, in order for us to confess our sins, which simply means to acknowledge that we have done something wrong to the person who told us that we shouldn't have done it. That's what confession is. In order for us to do that, we have got to understand what the standard is. Right. We've got to understand truly what is right and what is wrong, as Brother Tim preached, what is holy, what is profane, what is good and what is evil. Because if we don't have a concept of that or if that's not on the forefront of our minds, we won't see the need to confess. Right. And you say, well, Bible says that God wrote the law in his hearts, wrote his law in the hearts of his people. So we all know what right and wrong is true. But do we not grow dull to that? Right? We grow dull to that. The proof of that is this. <clears throat> everybody in here, everybody in here understands what a speed limit is, right? But don't you grow kind of dull to it? And I say that with a great deal of shame because I got a ticket yesterday. <laughs> okay? And I wanted to try to make some excuses to get out of that ticket, right? But the fact that my wife forgot the sausage balls to take to my future nephew shower, I just didn't feel like would float. <laughs> Although I do love sausage balls. So my very soon-to-be nephew is already causing me problems, right? <laughs> Sorry, Josh. <laughs> I'm going to hold that over his head for the rest of his life. But I got a ticket yesterday because Tiffany called and said, hey, I forgot something from the shower. Can you meet me at Walmart? And so I said, all right, boys, come on. We jumped in the uh, truck and we're going to go down there. And I wasn't intentionally just flying down the road on purpose, but I was trying to get there as quickly as I could. Wasn't even looking at my speedometer. <laughs> Didn't even really know what the speed limit was there. It was on 82. I traveled it a million times. I just kind of grew dull to the speed limit. I grew dull to the law. You understand? Until those flashing blue lights came on and then I became very aware of that law. Right? right? To confess our sins, we've got to have a good idea of what God's law is. The Bible tells us that the Lord is the same today, 
and yesterday and forever. There's a teaching out there that God is an evolving God. And that God watches his people and his law will tend to change and alter based on the desires of the people. And that's not true. Amen. That's not true. If you decide that you're falling in love with an animal and you want to marry that animal, God does not look at that and alter his law to suit you. Right. And if a man looks at a man and decides he wants to marry him, God doesn't alter his law to suit you. Amen. Right? If you decide that you've made a bad decision and you just, can't, you just don't want to invest the time or the money or get your life off course because you're now pregnant and you want to kill that baby, God doesn't alter his law to suit you. You see, God's got a standard. And if we're not aware of that standard and we're not ha we don't have that standard on the front of our eyes, we won't have the desire to confess when we stray from it. Right? right? So understanding God's law is important. Now, Proverbs 28 says uh, in verse 13, let me read it here because I don't want to misquote it. Well, I'm going to give, give it a shot. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But he that confesseth them and forsaketh them will find mercy. Are you with me? You see there? There's also repentance in that if you didn't catch that. Forsaking is repentance, the turning. He that confesseth his sin shall find mercy. And I think that's something we apply in our own life, right? Now listen, here's a good example of that. The other day, a couple weeks ago, we had a box, cardboard box, and, uh, and I don't even remember what came in it, but we had a cardboard box in the kitchen there. It was kind of a big, bigger box. And uh, I said, well, just leave that cardboard box in here, and we'll just put stuff in it uh, that can burn. And then when it's full, we'll just take it out, and we'll just burn it in our burn pile. And so the day came that, that we had filled it up with cardboard and paper plates and this, that, and the other. And I said, all right, boys. Take the box out to the burn pile and set it on fire and burn it, right? And I said, um, I, think, I think we were about to go somewhere. And I said, hey, when we get back, I want you to make sure that you take that box out and you burn it. Yes, sir, no problem. About three days later, I walk by and I see that box is still sitting there, right? And I thought, all right, here we go. Dad time, you know? So I said, boys, come here. Sat the boys down. And, you know, as a father, it's my job to make sure that they don't, you know, see, part of obedience is remembering, right? Part of obedience is to remember what you've been told, is to remember the standard. And I sat down with them, and, and I hated it. When I saw that box, I grieved. I hated the fact that I saw that box, not because the box was still there, but because I had asked them to do something, I had set a standard and they had failed to meet it. And I knew I was going to have to address it. And I hate doing that. So I said, boys, come here. So the boys sat down and I asked permission if I could use this example. And I said, and I'm already running through my mind, in what way now am I going to have to discipline them to teach them the lesson that they must remember the instructions, and they must carry it out. That's true obedience. I sat them down, and I had these things running through my mind of how I'm going to discipline them. And I said, all right, boys. And I pointed over, and I said, you see that box sitting over there? And boy, you talk about two sad countenances. Boy, they just fell. 
And I said, my question is, why is that box still sitting there? And I'm just, I'm just sitting back and waiting, you know. And I was expecting, because I, I've been a child, I was expecting, well, Em and Bailey said they were going to do it. Or, well, Mama said this. Or, you know, this, this, this. I was expecting all those things, right? And both of those boys hung their heads and said, Dad, I am sorry. We just forgot. And you know what they were doing? They were confessing. They said, we know what your standard was and we fell short of it and we are telling you that we are sorry we just forgot. And all, not all, most all those options of discipline left. They had to rake a few leaves, which wasn't all that bad. But I want to tell you this, if they hadn't have confessed, it would have been a lot worse. If they would have made excuses and tried to hide their sin, it would have been a lot worse for them. But you know what they did? They confessed it and they found mercy. Y'all get that? Amen. Now tell me that confession can save you on this side of heaven. Confessing our sins before the Lord will save us on this side of heaven from the judgment and the chastisement of God. I'm not telling you that every time that you confess that there's not going to be some consequences because those boys still had the consequence, but it wasn't near like it would have been, right? Because we confess. Now, I want you to think about in Luke, the 18th chapter here, Luke, the 18th chapter, a great, great example of confession. Luke, the 18th chapter, this is Jesus speaking. He says, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Who are these people? These are people who think they need no confession. Luke 18, 9. He is speaking this to a group of people who don't think they need to confess because they don't think they've done anything wrong. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. He's praying to himself. He's not, he's not blasting it. And he said, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men or are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen. Very two different pictures of confession. Right. Both going to the Lord in prayer, but only one of them having a keen sense of right and wrong because both of them had forgot to burn the box. But only one of them realized it. Right. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Only one of them realized it. The publican realized, I forgot to burn the box. And he was so ashamed of that he hung his head and wouldn't even lift up his head to look to the heavens. And the Lord says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. That word justified means to declare just. So the Lord is standing back and he's looking at two sinners. Both of them are sinners. And one of the prayers comes up before God as a stench because the prayer said, I've done nothing wrong. And I hate it that everybody else is doing everything wrong. That's us. Look, we're the Pharisee. And the publican over here, he's looking at the publican's prayer come up before him, and it was a sweet savor because the publican was so ashamed that he wouldn't even lift up his eyes. Let me give you this too. 
We're the Pharisee in this sense. We sit back and say, oh, we live in a wicked nation. We live in a wicked nation, but boy, we've got Bethlehem here and all the nation is crumbling around us. Do you know that, there, that we ought to be ashamed on a corporate level? Because Ezra was. You read over in Ezra, the ninth chapter. I'm going to flip over there for just a second. In Ezra, the ninth chapter, it is, it is the exact same scenario as the publican. This is Ezra, the priest who was living a righteous life. But this is what Ezra said. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God, not because he had forgot to burn the box, but because of his nation had forgot to burn the box and would not acknowledge it. And this is what he says. And said, oh, my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. When was the last time you got down as a citizen of the United States of America on behalf of that nation and were ashamed before God? See, we stand back like the Pharisee and say, golly, but we're part of this nation, right? right? Do we go on a corporate level? Are we blushing? When was the last time, think about it, that you got on your knees and were so ashamed of the gossip coming out of your mouth, of the slander coming out of your mouth, of the lustfulness that rolled around inside of your head, of any manner of wickedness you can think of? When was the last time you got on your knees and were so ashamed of it you couldn't even lift up your face? Well, sometimes I wonder, is God sitting back like those... Like I was with those two boys in that chair. Wondering, what is their response going to be when my Holy Spirit convicts them? Are they going to confess it before me? And is it going to come up as a sweet savor? Or is it going to be a stench before me because they don't even understand what they're doing? It makes me wonder. But I understand this, and I know this. That when we bow our heads and we say, Lord... I know you've got a standard and I've fallen short of that standard. And I'm asking you to forgive me and I'm begging for your mercy. We find mercy. Doesn't mean we we totally uh, are swept free of our consequences. But to some degree, God is merciful to us. And you know what the sweetest thing in that moment with my boys was? It almost makes me cry thinking about it. When I heard them say, I'm sorry. I just forgot. It made my soul explode with joy. Think about how the Lord feels. Lord, I know you told me not to do that. And I am such a wretched sinner. I'm smiting my breast. I can't even lift up my head. And I'm begging you for mercy. How do you think the Lord? I know how he feels to some degree. Because I have been the father to those that had not done right. Confession. There is a salvation in it. Whoso confesseth his sins shall find mercy. So if anybody ever tells you you got to confess in order to confess your sins in order to be saved, I'd say amen, amen, amen. But it's not from hell. It's from the wrath and judgment of God on this side of heaven. The discipline, the chastisement of God on this side of heaven, right? Now listen, 
hopefully if the Lord will continue to impress my mind to do this, the next time we talk, I want to talk about how confessing our faults to one another saves us. And then maybe after that, I want to talk primarily about how confessing that Jesus is Lord saves us. Because that's the, that's the big one right there. But until then, ask the Lord, as David said, to search me and try my heart, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And there will be. And take time to go to your knees and confess to the Lord. And I think you'll be satisfied because on the back end of that, you're going to find some mercy. I hope that's been profitable to you. And pray for Brother Tim as he comes.